Welcome to the Ready to Thrive podcast. My name is Jacqueline, and I don't know if you've ever felt like you are just surviving your life. I know I have, and that's why I created this space. I want to help you move from surviving to thriving. My goal is to help you get unstuck and actually enjoy your life. Each week, I'll be sharing practical tips and always point you to Jesus. So what are you waiting for? Let's get ready to thrive. Welcome to Ready to Thrive. Now, before we get into my conversation with Brandy, I wanted to share about what this next mini-series is all about. I'm calling it Thriver Stories. It's a series of conversations I'm having with women who have walked through or are currently walking through something difficult. This past year has felt much more like a survival season than a thriving season for so many And I wanted to hear stories of women who knew what it was like to be in a challenging season or really for many of them to be blindsided by an event in their life that really left them reeling. How did they get through it? And as each of these women share their stories, my hope is that you will be encouraged wherever you are at, whatever you are walking through, that you too will make it through. So join me today as we listen to Brandy's story. I trust that it's going to help you move one step closer to thriving. Hello and welcome to Ready to Thrive. I'm sitting here with my new friend, Brandy Wilson, and her Instagram bio says she is a single mom raising three incredible boys and co-leader of Leading and Loving It. And I first came across Brandy a few years ago. Um, I flew down to a conference called Leading and Loving It, and we'll dive into that in a little bit more, what that is. And I heard Brandy speak, and I was so moved by what she shared and her story uh, that I thought, this is a message that you guys need to hear. And so we're going to dive into that, but I want to just have Brandy introduce a little bit more about herself, where she lives, what she does, all those things. So Brandy, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, My name is Brandy Wilson. I live right outside of Nashville, Tennessee, in a town called Franklin, which is um, a modern day Mayberry. It's very quaint and sweet. Um, In fact, my kids' um, high school homecoming parade is done around downtown Franklin in the circle at the um, square. So it definitely feels like Mayberry, very sweet. Love being here. I've been in Franklin, Nashville about 20 years. Um, all of my kids were born here. So it's definitely home for me. Um, my boys are 19, 16, and 14. So I live with three teenage boys, which is okay. very interesting. Very interesting. Lots of chaos, lots of wrestling, lots of yelling. Lots of boys and noise at my house. And um, the only other female is a very high maintenance bird dog who um, loves to keep us all on our toes. But yeah, I am a proud sports mom. Um, My oldest plays college football at Birmingham Southern. And then my other two also play football at the high school and middle school. And I ring a cowbell and like to say I am classy until kickoff. I love it. (laughs) Um, Well, I love uh, watching some of that on Instagram. And I have so much respect for boy moms. (laughs) And I just feel like I look up to them. I'm like, I don't know how, I don't know how you do it. The the wrestling, the noise, just 
the smell, all the things. Yeah. I mean, I had I had two brothers, but I just have so much respect. Well, I will tell you, I'm very lucky because my boys have really good hygiene. Now, I'm going to also say sometimes that doesn't matter because there are times like 30 minutes they're out of the shower and they've, you know, thrown football outside for five minutes. And I'm like, have you showered today? But they my I'm lucky. My kids have good hygiene. However, teenage boys in general, there's just kind of it's it. I feel like it permeates from the sports equipment and the shoes. Yes. Oh, if I can wrangle those into like the laundry room, then it kind of helps the overall atmosphere of my home. (laughs) Well, as as a kid growing up, both of my brothers played hockey and football and lacrosse, like all the things are the worst. I'm going to tell you that's what the sports moms say. Hockey equipment's the worst. They're horrible. And so what I used to do this, I don't even think they know. I don't think my mom knew this. I used to spray lemon pledge <laughs> on, on their sports equipment, which is terrible. But I was like, I need to do something about this smell. Like, it's just, I think we didn't have a proper garage at this one house. And so they, it had to be in the basement. And Oh, that, it that is. It's, it's terrible. Like Febreze and all yes. the fancy air fresheners we have today. Yes. Lemon pledge. That's funny. Oh, yeah. There's nothing dear to that smell. Well, um, I was so moved when I heard um, your story. So let's go back a few years and just tell me, um, your kids are little, tell me what your life looks like a few years ago. Yeah, a few years ago, five, six, seven years ago, um, my kids were smaller. I was a stay-at-home mom um, and I was married to a pastor of a very large church here in Nashville that we had planted back in 2002. Um, and I loved my life. Um, I loved my husband. I loved being married. I loved being a stay at home mom. I had started volunteering at leading and loving it, which I know you said we would hit on later. That was kind of my outlet, um, career wise was leading and loving it. I, you know, was the room mom for my kids at school. I had great friendships. Um, here in Nashville, and also just because of what I did with Leading and Loving It across the United States. Um, So life was going pretty good. Um, And then my life started falling apart behind the scenes. Um, And, you know, when we've walked through anything difficult, I think we all know that before life publicly falls apart, it's been falling apart behind the scenes for a really long time. And after 20 years of marriage and 14 years at that church, um, my husband chose to walk away from it all. He chose to leave the church and our marriage um, and basically tear apart our family unit. Um, And I was devastated. I was heartbroken. Um, I was um, fearful. I was scared. I was overwhelmed. I was numb. It's like I had this this um over the top whole like conglomeration of emotions going on in my body and then at the same time I was numb um I just wanted to you know stick my head in a hole like an ostrich and come back up when life was better it it was just a pretty devastating time anyone who's lived through the dismantling of a family realizes how traumatic that is. It is trauma to live through the dismantling of your family, to watch your marriage fall apart, especially to do that publicly. Um, you know, our church was very large. Um, it was definitely a mega church, several 
many thousands of people every weekend. So what was playing out in my home was also playing out publicly, you know, the news um, organizations locally were picking it up, bloggers were picking it up, Christian online um, publications were picking it up. So what was a very private time for me and my hurt was actually playing out publicly, which was really difficult. So going back to that time, that sounds like you just shared layers upon layers of um, hurt. Cause you're right. Like it's, it's one thing to experience that trauma mm-hmm. privately, but then you're also having to navigate things publicly. You can't control what people are saying, what rumors are going on. And you've lost essentially not only this um, marriage, but you've lost this thing you've spent years building. And I don't, I don't think people, unless they've done it, can really appreciate um, all that goes into planting a church. Like that is just, it's blood, sweat, tears, sacrifice. It's so much. Um, And so when you're in that season, um, were you navigating that by yourself? Were there people that came alongside of you? Like how, I'm just wondering how you were able to manage from day to day. Well, and you're exactly right. Life as I knew it had ended. Everything I knew, it, I it's not like I just lost my marriage. I also lost what had been like the my community. Um, we did life with the staff. We, um, you know, when you plant a church and you are the senior leader at that church, you spend a lot of time with those people. You spend a lot of time with that organization. Um, so life as I knew it had ended. And I will tell you, I went from being surrounded by thousands of people to I only spoke to about three people on a regular basis. Um, The first person I talked to on a super regular basis was my therapist. I have a great therapist. I um, started with her initially, um, probably about four years ago when things looked bad. I didn't know necessarily then I was going to get divorced, but I knew things were really bad. And Um, My marriage therapist actually said, I feel like you need somebody to talk to on your own. So I started seeing her about four years ago. I'm still with her today. I love and adore her. I think having a healthy therapist whose um, morals and beliefs line up similar to yours is very helpful when you're walking through a time like that. Um, It's nice to have someone that you can say all the hard things to, and you know, it doesn't leave that room. Um, And to ask the questions you might be scared to ask other people. So therapy was huge for me. Um, My other outlet was um, my Leading and Loving It friends. As crazy as it sounds, Leading and Loving It is an organization that exists to equip women leaders to love life in ministry. And um, it initially started about 12 years ago. Um, I connected in this really, uh, what 12 years ago seemed strange, but I made an online friend (laughs) named Lori Wilhite. And Lori had actually started leading and loving it. Um, She's at a church in Vegas, Central Church, and she had started leading and loving it for her staff wives um, and women on staff because their church was really large. She wanted to get them together. She and I had connected randomly over Twitter. 
Um, and thank goodness we had free, you know, cell phone to cell phone calling. Um, this friendship just developed where, you know, I had flown out there and visited her. She'd asked me to help her with leading and loving it. We realized at that point, leading and loving it was getting an audience outside of her church staff. And it was being, um, bred by pastor's wives all over the United States, um, even spreading into other countries and women on staff of churches. So at that point she said, I think if I have some help, this could become something bigger than what it is right now. So we had developed this friendship at about 12 years ago. Um, we, it's a, you know, I think people think, can you really be that close when you live on opposite sides of the country? And we really are. And Lori became um, a lifeline to me. She felt she was the first one to know everything that was going on behind the scenes. Um, she would call me every day and say, you don't have to really say anything. I just need to hear your voice. Um, I need to hear how you're doing. She, um, yeah, she kept a very close watch on me. I had one friend here I talked to on a regular basis um, who was my yoga teacher, uh, also a member of the church. I had been friends with her for years. So the two of them would even stay in contact, uh, my friend Paige and my friend Lori. So yeah, I, I went from being surrounded by thousands of people to having just about three people I talked to on a regular basis. And um, as hard as that was, it also felt very safe. I was looking for what would provide this feeling of safety in my life um, because I didn't know I, there were so many questions I didn't have answers to. I thought, who can I talk to that at least feels like I can be honest with them? Um, and it was really a pivot in my life um, because, you know, I was still being quote unquote watched when people were trying to figure out what was going on in my marriage. Um, but the pivot as far as like, I'm not going to get through this if I isolate. I, I said earlier, I just wanted to stick my head in the ground and like wake up when it was all over with. Um, but I knew that if I isolated, I probably wouldn't survive. Um, so I made myself talk to those people. Um, and lots of days I didn't have anything to say. I just cried. Um, and I was surrounded with friends who let me be where I was on that day and didn't try to move me forward until I was ready. Um, I think so often when we are dealing with people who are going through trauma and transition in their life, we want to help them move forward before they're ready. And I really, God gave me friends who let me be where I was in that moment and then when I was ready to move forward, they were so in tune with me that they were there to help me as I moved forward. Um, Cause it's hard to watch someone you love in pain. I know why people try to move, you know, you forward because they hate to see you hurt. So they just want to help you. Um, and I had people who just let me be in the moment and be who I was and process and feel everything that I was feeling at the time. That is so good. That was sort of the question that I had for you as well is how did you sort of give yourself permission to be and grieve? And I love that you shared that because I think for many of us, we might not be the ones walking through the hard situation, but we're, we're walking alongside people and we don't know how yeah. to help them. And I love that you just shared, you don't have to say anything. 
you can just cry and just that creating that space. It's, it's hard to let people be in that painful space, but I love that um, you just shared that that's so key. So I, I got something out of that. I know people listening will as well. Um, is there anything you looking back would have wanted to say to yourself in that time in terms of giving yourself a little bit more permission to be or grieve or any of those things? Like, do you, do you feel like you're like, yeah, I just, I did what I had to do. Or is there anything else you'd want to kind of tell yourself in that painful place? You know, it's, that's probably where I, um, I learned to affirm myself. Um, I think I would, I would tell myself there's no need to hurry. My therapist, I remember her saying to me at one point, I was like, I feel like I should be further along. And she's like, why? I'm like, I don't know. I just feel like I should be. And she's like, you're right on time. Um, and I do think I would go back and say to myself, like, you're right on time. No one can control this process, but you, no one can walk through your grief, but you, no one can move forward, but you. So just recognize you're right on time. And I think that's when I did start to affirm myself as far as when you're going through a situation, um, like I was in, I was told a lot of negative things about myself. I remember sitting in a therapy session with a marriage counselor and um, being told by my ex-husband some really hurtful things. And I remember thinking like, that is, none of this is true. None of this is who I am. And um, I left that session. I remember like putting my head on the steering wheel and crying. Then I was like, okay, what can I, I, this is, I just kept telling myself, this is not true. Who do I have to say this to but myself? So I came home and um, I opened a journal. I, man, I, gratitude became huge to me in the midst of my divorce. Um, so I started this little journal with just like things I was grateful for. Uh, Cause I knew like, okay, nothing about my life feels good, but God is still good. So God is still good. Um, and God is good at being God. So I'm going to recognize what is good in my life. So I'd start this little gratitude journal. And that day, um, it moved from just listing things I was grateful for to me recording what I knew to be true about self. So I sat down that day and I kind of replayed all those negative things I'd heard in my head. And I didn't write down the negative things. I wrote down what I knew to be true. So what is true about me? And, and I started listing things. I am friendly. I am warm. I have a fun personality. I do enjoy laughing. I, so I just wrote down a whole bunch of things about myself that I was like, this is my fresh start because you know who gets to choose going forward? I do. And I get to choose the life I live. I get to choose how I feel when I wake up in the morning. I get to choose how I want to impact others. Um, so that was a real pivot for me as far as being in this really unhealthy, dysfunctional marriage where I didn't hear a lot of positive things to thinking, you know what, you know, who's in charge of that? Me. If it doesn't start with me, I'm not going to expect to hear it from anyone else. So that was, that was really um, affirming for me to get to the point where I was verbally reminding myself of who I was. We get lost sometimes as women. Life is busy. I had kids that I love. They take up a lot of time. I loved being a wife. My church was incredible. I loved serving that church. Um, but in the midst of all the serving, I lost myself. So that was pivoting for me as far as like, 
who am I and what do I want out of life? Well, I love that you have this little aha moment and then you go do something about it. And that's really, in this show, I love sharing deep spiritual things, but also really practical things. And the fact that you spent the time getting that journal. And I even love, you know, 2021. Yeah. (laughs) Buy a brand new journal. Get yourself a fresh start. You can go to the dollar store um, and start writing out what is true about you. And I, I did this exercise with a few women recently where we had to go around and say one thing we liked about ourselves. It's really hard, especially to say it out loud in front of a group of women. Um, And so just to begin, and the thing that I shared, I was like, well, I think this is true about me. And, (laughs) and later on, I was later on, I was thinking about it. I was like, no, that's, that's very true. That is exactly who I've been created to be. And so, you know, even if you haven't heard the outside voices saying the negative things to you, everybody battles with those inside voices saying those negative things. And so I really do believe there is something absolutely transformational that comes when we write down the truth of who God says we are and who he's created us to be. We then get to live into it and live it out. And there is something that happens where, as Brandy was listing her things about like, I'm funny, I'm fun, I have this great personality. You actually can begin to kind of live into that and stand up a little bit taller and say, yeah, this this is who I am. Right. And it gives you a confidence. I think that's something that... um is a byproduct. Like sometimes we're looking for confidence and it doesn't necessarily come with like going to the gym and buying a new outfit. Sometimes it just comes from knowing deeply who you are and that is going to begin to come out as as Christ could sort of has already deposited that in you, but you become aware of it. You're like, oh, okay, this is awesome. Well, and I just think even the neurological response that happens in your brain when you're writing things down, you're getting things out emotionally. I know for me, there are times that I don't know how I feel about something until I journal about it. Um, I'm just wired to, I pick up a lot of people's emotions um, and I'm just wired to maybe not check in with myself. So I think, man, it does. It just like speaks the truth that God has for us into our lives, as well as it helps us recognize how we feel about situations so that we can process those in a healthy way. And I do appreciate that, again, going back a little bit when you were talking about grief, I actually had a moment recently where I couldn't really figure out, I was like, I'm feeling, I'm feeling actually a little bit angry. I'm feeling a bit heavy. I can't really figure out what this is. And I Thankfully, I had the chance to go for a walk right by the ocean and um, and I had some space to sit with God. And I was like, what is this thing? And and he just highlighted to me this uh, friendship, this relationship that really has, um, it really has changed. And I'm, I'm okay with it. I've gone through a lot of processing with it. But he said to me, he said, you know, you're just sad yeah. about it. You really need to grieve uh, this friendship. So really giving myself the space to just grieve. And and the crazy thing is, in many ways, it's a little thing. And this is where I think sometimes we can get stuck because we understand grieving big things, but there can be these little losses that if we don't pause to say, it's okay to be sad. This is a sad thing. And let yourself go there. That's actually, you need to rush it. Like part of me had that feeling of, I should, I should be okay with this. I should be it's like, no, no, just be be sad in it, allow yourself to grieve. Yeah. Um, and then you're able to kind of move on past it. And I was able to kind of leave it all at the beach. And I was really thankful for that time to 
let myself go there, which I think we have a really hard time giving ourselves that permission. Yeah. Well, who wants to? I mean, anybody who's grieved anything, it's like, oh man, I really don't want to do that again. That's pretty terrible to walk through. However, I think it forms so much of who we are moving forward. I think it forms how we love others, how we show up for other people. I think it forms how we take care of ourselves in the future. I think it helps form boundaries um, in a relationship that has gone bad. Grief helps you learn what you don't want to do again. Um, So I think grief teaches us a lot of lessons that we don't expect. Um, And I do think it if you don't deal with it now, you're going to end up dealing with it in the future. Uh, and I think grief revisits at times. You know, I've said careers, it's ugly head when we least expect it. Um, so there are times that it just catches me off guard still today um, with triggers, you know, activators, stuff like that, that happens. And I kind of am transformed back to, or transported back to some of that grief. However, it's never as bad the second time around as it was the first. And it's not as bad the 15th time um, as it was the second. So I just think that grief is something that we have to learn is part of our healing. It's a very important part of our healing. That's so good. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit and I want to hear uh, your story about acquiring your home that you currently live in. Because I loved hearing that story. So if you could share that with us, that'd be great. I will tell you, it's one of my favorite stories to tell. Um, so I knew pretty quickly through the course of the divorce, I didn't want to keep the house that I had been living in. Um, it That house had never felt like me. I'm the type of person I want my home to feel like me. Um, I love it to be a reflection of who I am. And I just didn't want the memories that went with that house. I didn't want, um, I needed a fresh start. I needed a fresh start. My kids needed a fresh start. And, and I think a lot of women debate that when they're getting divorced, they feel the need to keep their house, um, to have some consistency for their kids. So I understand why a lot of women do that. For me, I knew the consistency was going to be their school system. So my kids, they're all in great schools. They have great support system of friends. So for me, I knew I wanted to keep my kids in the same school. Um, now the downfall to that is where I live is very expensive. Um, and my budget was very, very small to buy a house. So um, I knew, I, I just knew it was going to be a feat that I did not know how I was going to make happen. And um, the day after my mediation, which was in um, March of that year, I woke up that morning to just kind of a really ugly email. I woke up feeling really dark. Mediation is basically where all of your life is divided. You take about eight to 10 hours and um, your entire life is divided among two people and you sign your name a few times and your marriage of 20 years is over. And it's an exhausting process emotionally, mentally, physically. So I woke up that morning and I was just drained and I was done. I want to stay in bed. Um, But I'm a mom of three boys, so I didn't get the luxury of staying in bed. So I got them up, got them on the bus and off to school and I got in the shower and I just lost. I, I don't think I'd shed a tear the day before. Um, so all the tears came and I cried and I cried and I cried. And during my crying, I also started mumbling and praying this phrase. Um, 
and, and I don't know where it came from. This is what sounds so crazy. I had been looking at a lot of houses and thinking about what I needed. Um, but in that moment, I just started saying, God, I need 2,400 square feet, 2,400 square feet. I need 2,400 square feet. Please give me 2,400 square feet. I mean, it wasn't like a fancy prayer. It didn't have scripture involved. Um, but over and over, I just stood there and I cried and I prayed for 2,400 square feet. Um, so eventually I got out of the shower, started getting ready for the day, ran a few errands. Um, and I was actually a couple of hours later walking into yoga and had my phone in my hand and a message popped up and it was just the phone number, which meant I didn't have that person in my contacts. And I thought that's strange. So I opened the message and it said, Hey, Brandy, um, this is Polly. We have a mutual friend. I heard you were looking for a house in my neighborhood. I was out on a walk today. I ran into a neighbor who's being transferred out of state and her house is going on the market. I don't know much about it, except it's 2,400 square feet. And it gives me goosebumps yeah. right now. Um, but in that moment, I just knew like, okay, God, you hear me. You know what I need. Um, my prayers do not fall on deaf ears. Um, it's going to happen in your timing and you're going to be the one to guide it. But man, just knowing that you hear me was so huge for me because I felt so alone. I, I'm buying my first house by myself. Um, so I went to look at that house a couple of days later and um, 10 days after that, I had a contract on the house that my kids and I have now lived in for three and a half years. And it is this sweet home that is safe and comfortable. And my biggest blessing has been somehow we've become the house where all the kids hang out. So it is nothing for me on a weekend to have 14 boys here. And um, Jesus multiplies the snacks like he did the bread and the loaves. I mean, the fish and the loaves, um, because I'm always like, surely I don't have enough room like food to feed these kids. <laughs> but yeah, I end up having a lot of kids in this home and it's a really special place to me. I, even this morning was journaling, um, as I mentioned earlier, and I, I was just grateful. I came home last night from my small group at church and um, there were a couple of college kids here um, visiting my oldest son. They're all home for break. And I was just like, so grateful that my house is a place where not only I feel safe and my kids feel safe, but even my kids' friends want to be here and they feel safe and comfortable here. I love that story. I also totally had the goosebumps as you shared. <laughs> um, now I want to move on and I want to ask you a little bit of moving past grief and this story and kind of moving on to um, how do you then begin to sort of move on with your life and you are... Um, kind of having to navigate things like forgiveness and where are you seeing redemption and like what are some of the stories that you have from that like where where have you moved through further on in your story yeah yeah um you know I think uh, several places I mean God has been so gracious in the relationships in my life being part of a large church um I think when everything fell apart a lot of people were impacted um, I used the illustration recently that it's kind of like I was cleaning my bathroom and, um, in the midst of cleaning the vanity, I like scooted the glass container that holds the Q-tips to the edge. And as I'm wiping, of course, 
because I'm, I'm very clumsy. Jacqueline, you'll learn that about me. I'm very clumsy. I knock off that glass container onto my tile floor. And when glass breaks on tile, concrete, wood, whatever, we know that it shatters and goes everywhere. And um, the closest to the moment of impact are where the biggest shards of glass are. But you know, when I stood there, I don't know about you, whenever I break glass, I'm always barefoot. So as I have to freeze, like it breaks and I'm like, I don't know how to get out of this room because there's glass everywhere. But you know, you have to stand there for a moment. And as I look, the biggest pieces of glass are closest to the impact. But man, you see glass of different sizes getting smaller, the further out you go. And I think when we've all heard the phrase, hurt people, hurt people, um, I believe hurt leaders hurt a lot of people. And when you see the impact it makes when a leader makes a poor decision in their life, the biggest shards of glass, the biggest pieces of pain, they hurt the people closest to that leader. But there are layers and layers and layers of hurt that go out um, way beyond where you ever expect. You know, the week after I broke that glass in my bathroom, I'm in my bedroom and like nine feet away, I found this little teeny tiny piece of glass in a crevice of my hardwood floor. And I'm just like, man, that's what relationships are like when people are hurt and you don't even realize it. And I think for me, the forgiveness piece came in when I had to start dealing, even though I wasn't the one who caused that hurt because I was so attached, married to the person who had caused that hurt. There were ripples of pain and um, impact where people have been hurt, where they didn't know what that meant for their spirituality, where they didn't know what it meant for their relationship, where they were doubting because of that, um, that I ended up having to deal with. And I feel super, super grateful that all of my relationships and that have been restored. Now, I prayed for a really long time that God restored that one relationship um, being my marriage. And that restoration did not happen because it takes two people to want that. Um, now, I will say God has restored me and God has redeemed me in the way I remember thinking um, you know, what will my life look like? And Lori, my best friend, Lori said to me like, you know what, Brandy, your role might be gone and that title might be gone, but no one can take God's call on your life. Um, so for me, it's that remembrance of like, man, what God wants out of me, I can still accomplish. I don't accomplish that because I'm part of a marriage um, relationship. I don't accomplish that because of who I'm married to. I don't accomplish that because of a title that was put behind my name. I accomplish that because he loves me. Um, and I think that one of the biggest gifts he gave me in that is the fact that, you know, even though all of that hurt happened in all those different layers, he's really allowed me to be able to have contact with a lot of those people through the years. And um, those people remind me like, you're not forgotten. We still love you. We're here for you. I um, was at an event Tuesday night, a socially distanced, safe event and ran into somebody I hadn't seen in about four years. And um, that was on one of those outer layers of impact and had this really great conversation with him that always provides just a little bit more of that healing and restoration and even forgiveness. Um, that, you know, I, you just 
can't control. You know, God's God's in control of that, and you just have to follow His will in it. Thank you. Um, that that story is very powerful with the uh, gloss. I think a lot of us can relate, and even just that idea of how um, some of those pieces will only be found later on, right? Like it does kind of keep having that. And I love it. I love that you share about yourself being restored and redeemed. And I think that's one of the keys as well is that we really can't control anything going on with anybody else. Right. Um, it really, it just is our responsibility to, um, what does it look like to, like, I love that you share about going to a therapist and, oh, sure. and spending that time. And then you're also spending that time with God and crying out to him and allowing him to heal those broken places. And so um, when we can can get to this place where we're like, hey, God is, is redeeming, restoring these places in my heart, uh, it does allow us to really walk through life much lighter when we have those shards of glass or things that are going to come at us sometimes that we don't expect. Right. Um, that we're like, okay, I can actually navigate this in a way I couldn't a few years ago, but there, there has been some healing that's taken. Well, and I think it's key. You just said like, what can I control? And I think so often we get bogged down trying to control all the things that we can't control. Um, So that did become a question I would ask myself, like, what can I control? What do I want? What do I need? So those are like the three questions I try to filter things through is what can I control? What do I want? What do I need? And when we look at what we can and can't control, well, that clears out a lot of things for us. Um, so yeah, I think that's huge. You hit the nail on the head. What we can control is super valuable. Well, I want to ask you for one last story that I heard you share a few years ago. Um, and I'm, I'm going to butcher it if I'd explain it, but um, this idea of your sons playing football. Yes. Do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? I do. Okay. <laughs> I do. When you said another story, I was like, oh, she's going to okay. ask about yeah, yeah. story. Yeah. Um, Yeah, the football story is a really great story. My youngest son is named Brewer and, um, you know, the church that I worked at, worked with was Cross Point Church here in Nashville. And um, a couple of years ago, Cross Point hired a new pastor and his name is Kevin Queen. And he and his wife, Ree, and their four kids live um, within about, they live about a mile from me. And um, they're oldest son, their third child is named Durham. And my third son is named Brewer and Brewer and Durham ended up in class together and they became fast friends and ride their bikes back and forth to each other's houses. And, um, about two years ago, they started playing on the seventh grade football team together. And I showed up at the first game of the season. I'm always running a little bit late and I showed up at that game and I usually walk in like I I knew that offense was on the field and my son is an offensive player. So I'm I'm like, I I have to get to an open spot. So I just beeline to an open spot on the sideline and the first drive happens. And um, when I look up, I realize that Kevin and Ree are beside me. So I kind of pop over there and I say, you know, what number is Durham? I'd really like to cheer for him. And Kevin answered me with the number. And as I start to turn and walk off, Kevin said, is Brewer playing quarterback? And I said, he is. And he said, um, do you know what position Durham plays? And I said, I, I don't. And Kevin said, he's on the O-line. And uh, just to 
I know y'all don't have football in Canada. So just to give a little bit of detail, my son Brewer is the quarterback. He's the one who throws the ball. Durham is on the O-line or the offensive line. So he stands directly in front of my kid trying to protect him from the defense. So I knew when Kevin said Durham's on the O-line, what that meant. Um, And and Kevin kind of leaned in and he said, my kid's job is to protect your kid. And my kid's job is to make sure that your kid is safe. And in that moment, I knew as hard as it had been to watch someone else take over the church I love, to watch someone else lead the organization that I helped create, to watch someone else um, engage and impact and encourage that staff, as hard as that had been, it was worth it every time if it meant that my kid found healing. So their friendship is precious and sweet. They are working out every afternoon together right now. This year I was, a season was wrapping up. I was talking to Brewer and he played quarterback again, their eighth grade year. And I said, so who do you feel safest with in front of you? And he said, oh, for sure, Durham. I like him up there. He's going to make sure that I can get the ball out of my hands before I get tackled. Um, and, and I just think, you know what, that's football, but man, it's also so symbolic for life. You know, I mean, who do we have in our lives? Who's going to protect us? Who do we have? Who's going to stand in front of us when life gets hard and people are trying to bring us down? You know, who do we have whose job is to make sure that they're standing waiting there in front of us when the defense is coming at us strong. Um, So it's just been a real gift to watch the two of them. I have, you know, Durham's at the house a lot, Brewer's over there a lot. And um, it's a friendship I wouldn't have expected, but it's a friendship that I definitely have a lot of love for. I feel super grateful that um, God allowed those paths to cross in the way that he has. Well, Brandy, I have loved hearing all of your stories, and I have so many questions for you. I don't want us to go too, too long, but um, I just want to find out from you as we kind of wrap it up. Um, You've already shared about the gratitude. Yes. Are there other things you do just personally that help you thrive? So what are the things that you do, whether it's practical, spiritual, what are the things you kind of do regularly that help you thrive? Um. So I think self-care is so important to us thriving. And I will tell you for years, I thought self-care was getting a massage and, you know, maybe having my fingernails painted or having fresh flowers in the house or a candle lit. And all of those things are forms of self-care. I will also tell you, I thought for a long time that self-care was probably selfish uh, because I had a lot of other things that were more important to do. Um, so what I've tried to do is find ways that I take care of myself that fit into my day. Usually that happens for me first thing in the morning, once everyone leaves and goes to school and I take a little bit of time and I always journal and pray. That's when I do whatever Bible study I'm working through. Um, I also am a huge fan of meditation. I do some guided meditations. I love, um, Crosspoint Church, actually, crosspoint.tv has some guided meditations called First Cup that last about six or seven minutes a day. It's scripture along with some um, guided prayers. And I love to take that time and just clear out my head, um, get focused. I feel like the more in tune I am with how things are on the inside I are going, the better my day will go. The 
the better I'll be able to handle things. Um, so I really try to make sure I am journaling is huge self-care for me. Meditation is huge. Um, I love outdoor walks. I do deal with some anxiety um, and through learning a little research on anxiety and trying to kind of figure that out for myself, um, I learned that a 20 minute walk outside because the part of our brain that controls anxiety, um, it can only basically do one thing at a time. It's a mono part of the brain. So if you're outside walking, moving, taking in what's going on around you, enjoying nature, lots of times it will shut down the anxiety anxiety portion of your brain. So um, little things like going for a walk outside. Yoga is huge for me. Yoga was a huge piece of my healing. Yoga in the worst of the worst was the only 60 minutes of the day that my brain would stop thinking about what it was going through. Um, so yoga became super healing for me. Um, and then time with those people who are really life-giving to me. I um, I get I have the opportunity to talk to a ton of women and a ton of people, and I love it. I also make sure that I haven't so um, filled my schedule that I don't get to spend time with the people who are really life-giving and know me. Um, I enjoy relationships where I feel known, and being able to spend time with those people um, is super important. I listen to a Brene Brown podcast the other day. And she said, she was talking to a, a, I cannot even remember the name. I need to look this up. But the quote she used was like, in order to exhale for others, we must inhale for ourselves first. And I think that's when I realized like, okay, in order, I do love to give, I do love to serve. I do love to, you know, impact and um, work with other women who have gone through tough times. I cannot exhale into their lives until I've inhaled into my own. So making sure that I get that time alone in the morning, doing what matters to me, and I get the people in my life who are life-giving has been huge. Well, I love that you shared all those practical things because I think sometimes as moms or just busy women, we can continue to almost be on that treadmill of life and and it they feel like little things sometimes. I'm just going to stop at the grocery store. I'm just going to do this thing. And before we know it, we are so depleted. And so I love that you are intentionally starting your day and choosing those things. And I think one of the challenges too, I've I've shared this, I haven't shared this recently, but um, one of the things I try to do is if I have kid-free time, um, and so your kids may be doing online learning, that could be challenging, or your kids might be little at home. And so I know the kid-free time is very limited. And I began to choose very carefully how I spent that kid-free time. And I started to go on walks mm. during my kid-free time. And then I would take them with me to the grocery store, which is less fun, <laughs> especially during COVID. But I realized I can do that with them, but I can't go for the solo walk with it, right? Like it's, I needed to choose wisely those things that were going to really fill me up. And so I love that you shared that. Um, I want to know for you kind of what is next? What are you moving into next? Um, I think you're starting some coaching. I want to hear a little bit about that. Yes, I have started um, my certification to become a life coach um, and have loved that process. I just realized I was talking to a lot of women um, and doing a lot of coaching naturally. And I thought, I want to be better at this. So um, I realized a long time ago that you know, people who are hurting, they don't need you to be perfect. They just need you to be present. So I've tried to take the pain that I've gone through and, and give that some purpose by investing in other women. Um, 
an area that I didn't foresee that I'd really enjoy is single moms. And I have a single moms small group. I actually started during COVID that has ladies from all over the United States in it. And we meet every other week. And um, it has been great just to have ladies who are united from such situations that they never wanted to go through. None of them sitting in there foresaw that they would be a single mom. Um, so yeah, I do. I get to do a little coaching in a lot of areas with ministry women, with ladies who are going through failed relationships or other major transitions in their lives, as well as single moms. And um, yeah, I'm getting ready to launch my website, which is lovebrandywilson.com. That gives a lot of other information on that. But um, yeah, I, I'm enjoying the certification process. I debated going back to school for a long time. And this was just such a great fit for me that, um, and it's something I've kind of always naturally done being in ministry. So I love that I can take it and move forward with it as part of my career. Awesome. Well, I'm sure people are going to try and check out that website as well as you on Instagram. Yep. Um, what is your Instagram handle? Love Brandy Wilson. Love Brandy Wilson. Yes. Well, Brandy, thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing so much of your story. And I can't remember an interview I've had recently where I've had more Holy Spirit goosebumps. <laughs> um, such great stories. But uh, thank you for being real about all of the hard things and all the great things. And um, excited to connect with you more. And people can also um, check out Leading and Loving It. And where can they find Leading and Loving Leading It? Leadingandlovingit.com. Yep. And there's an app and um, Instagram is Leading Loving It. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being on here today. I trust it has helped women move one step closer to thriving. Can I just say thank you for listening? This space has been incredibly encouraging for me this past year. And as I am being deeply encouraged by these conversations, I trust you are as well. And I'm not going to ask you to rate the show or subscribe, but I am going to ask if while you were listening today, a friend popped into your mind and you thought, hmm, I think they could use this encouragement. Can I ask you to share this episode with them, with one person? When I listen to podcasts on my phone, there are three little dots at the bottom right, and I click there to share. Also, can I say sometimes I don't share with others as I'm worried about what they'll think of me if they think I'm bugging them by sharing something, but when someone shares something with me, I am never bothered. Often it is the exact thing I needed to hear. So if someone popped into your mind, click those three little dots and share this encouraging conversation with them. And thank you for listening to Ready to Thrive.